constructing something coming up this week now. Thank you guys for leading us in that. Thank you. Jesus is King. We looked at that last week um, as one of the things we're looking at in this series of understanding that we want to just follow Jesus on mission together. And the big words we've used are on the screen. And we're in our third week of looking at this Christology, this stuff around the person of Jesus Christ. And we've looked that Jesus is Messiah. We explored last week that Jesus is King. And today we want to explore that the King has a kingdom. And that's really central to who Jesus is. The King has a kingdom. I said at the end of last week's message that Jesus declaring the kingdom of God is available was his gospel. It is the good news. Many of us have grown up being told that the good news is Jesus died for your sins and you get to go to heaven. And that is part of the story, but that is not the whole story. Because that fits beautifully into the fact that Jesus is king. And so what we want to do today is just extend that a bit further. Jesus is king and he has a kingdom. It's language we often hear in church life. You know, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, um, kingdom work or kingdom focus. But hopefully today we can unpack a little bit what does that actually mean for us. Uh, the main message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. Um, we might read the kingdom of heaven, we might read or just the kingdom, but it's the kingdom of God. And um, what did Jesus say about the kingdom of God? Well, he said a whole bunch of stuff. But here's one example of how this is the focus for him. This is in Luke's gospel. And Luke writes, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, which he often did. And the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said... I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. That is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now the kingdom of God is the ultimate reality. That's what Jesus was coming to bring. That's the good news. Jesus had the kingdom of God in mind at all times. His teaching was so people would know it is available and how to enter it. His miracles were evidence of its existence and its reality. His parables helped reveal the truth about it. His prayers were infused with its outworking and his promised return would see the kingdom consummated in full. Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. We need to have a good understanding of how a kingdom functions in order to, to get this a bit clearer. Um, us living in Australia in this place in 2022, we probably don't have a great understanding of the, the outworking, the, the nuances of kingdom. So let's look at a few things. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could, we could do here. I'm just trying to try to condense it a little bit. For a kingdom to exist and the kingdom to function, I'm going to look at those four key things it needs. Number one, it needs a king. And we discussed that last week. It needs a king. The king rules and reigns absolutely. 
due to ownership. God is owner of all things due to his creative rights. We see in Psalm 142, it says, this is, what the, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. God is the creator and sustainer of all. He is the king. We read in uh, Psalm 50, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, says the Lord. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And there's a whole bunch of other verses we could reference where Scripture talks about God's creative ownership of all. See, as we go through the story of the Bible, and there's a big story that runs right through the Bible. Um, And so as we do this, it starts with God is king. God is king of all creation. He creates these things called human beings to rule with him in the way he has already designed his creation to function. We know the story. It didn't go well early into the picture. God is the king right from the beginning. And as we read the story of God's people, we get to a story in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, in chapter 8. And I want to read a bit of that to you. So God is with his people, even though they've got it wrong a whole bunch of times, and God's established Abraham and his family to carry God's presence and God is their king and he is with them and he is shaping them and using them to make himself known in the world even though they don't do it real well and they get to the point where they're in the promised land so we've gone through Abraham and Isaac and um who's the other guy Jacob (laughs) should know that shouldn't I and then into um yeah, uh, Moses came after all that and then Moses got the people out of Egypt and they get to the promised land and they walk around in the desert for 40 years and um, God's their king in that space and then Joshua comes up out of that and then once they're settled in, in the land that God had promised, they have the, what we call these judges who sort of help rule over that and then they get to the point where they no longer want that sort of system, they start asking for a king We want a king. So let's read a little bit of what happens in this passage. So this is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Bathsheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money and they accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah, and discussed the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. And Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. And ever since I brought them from Egypt, They have continually abandoned me and followed other gods and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. 
So in a kingdom, we need a king. And God is the king. And at some point in the story of humanity, the story of God's people, they rejected God as king and wanted a human king. Just like the others around us. Second thing, we need in a kingdom, there's an economy. It's the king's responsibility to meet the needs of every citizen. Economy and rule are closely related. The character of the king will determine how the resources of the kingdom are distributed and shared. A good king will provide for his people. An evil king will store up for himself and the people will struggle to survive. Even with God being the king of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, the story tells us that they wandered in the desert for 40 years and God fed them and gave them water and their clothes did not, or shoes, did not wear out for 40 years. The provision of the king was good and just. A good king will provide for his people what they need. An evil king will not. So when we've started reading this story in 1 Samuel, look how it continues. I'll just read this to you because I'll just skip through a few bits. So this is the story continuing. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking for a king and he said, this is how a king will reign over you. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots, making them run before them. Some will be generals and captains, but some will be forced to plough in his fields and harvest his crops and make his weapons. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make things for him. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves. He will take a tenth of everything you produce in your harvest. He will take your male and female slaves and demand your finest cattle and donkeys. He will demand a tenth of all your flocks. When the day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. So Samuel told this to the people and they replied, Even so, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. And so the Lord replied to Samuel, do as they say, give them a king. And as we read the story continually, we know that Saul was the first king and that didn't go great. David came after him and to some extent David seemed like a good king and the nation flourished and then after that it was just... A mess, basically. We don't want God as king. We want a human king. Just like the people around us. And look how life turns out. Jesus is a good king. Paul describes God's desire to have us ruling alongside him. Check out what he says to the Romans. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. 
We are heirs, co-heirs with Jesus of all of creation because we have a good king. The third thing a kingdom needs is territory. The geographical, geographical extent of the king's influence is about territory. All we have to do is read the news today to understand this battle for kingdoms that exists among us. The battle for land where one kingdom will want to forcibly take land from another. But it's not just nation against nation, it's person against person where I'm so focused on building my kingdom that I will interact with you in such a way that maybe your dignity is broken, maybe there's no respect, maybe I just take from you, maybe there's abuse, maybe there's manipulation, maybe there's deceit, maybe there's a whole bunch of things that go on. Because I'm trying to build my little kingdom and you're trying to build your little kingdom, a kingdom being this, this area that you think you have control and influence over. And we often reduce it down to, well, my own life. I think I can at least control my own life. And when I'm trying to control my own life and I'm bumping up against someone else, sometimes even our spouse, and there's this conflict because I'm trying to build my kingdom and you're trying to build your kingdom and I want to have influence and control and power, but so do you, and and they just don't mesh. And then we can take it right up to a, a national level where we see that over and over. The geographical extent of the king's influence is the territory that encompasses the king's kingdom. When Moses was talking to the people just before they entered the promised land, he said this to them, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he says, To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. So the geographical extent or the territory of God's kingdom is all of creation of which we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ and will inherit and rule with him. In the Old Testament, land was the thing and it still continues to be a thing. The promised land was the territory where God's people lived in his kingdom. But that kingdom didn't last because people came in and took over that land over and over. It's in the biblical narrative because the people refused to have God as their king. The promise of Scripture is that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. The king and his children will rule in the land, in this world. All of creation is being renewed and recreated. Christians are called to be part of the renewal process. Living empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God and invite people to live in that reality as well. That's the Christian life. We talked about this when we went through John's Gospel that we we want to allow Jesus to reveal reality to us personally, collectively. And by following Jesus, we pursue that reality and then empowered by the Holy Spirit, we want to share that reality with others. This is kingdom living. Kingdom of God reality. So a kingdom has a king, and an economy, and a territory. And the fourth thing I'll touch on, a king 
kingdom has a law. And the law is unique to that kingdom because the law is directly related to the king. Who the king is, what the king says, is the law in his kingdom. The law of a kingdom describes right and wrong, good and evil, what's acceptable and unacceptable. And it's all based on the king's perspective. So in the kingdom of God, the thing that is most relevant from God's perspective when we read through scripture is the law is love because God is love. The law is completely connected to the character of the king. In Luke 17, we read this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Another translation would say the kingdom of God is in you. It's in you. The kingdom of God is a reality. In fact, it is the reality. It is the way to live in this world, connected to God and others and creation in a way that reflects God's intentions and purposes. God is making his dream come true. What is his dream? What is his purpose? What is his intent? That by putting his own spirit into human beings, he would use us to fulfill his purposes in the world, which is to renew and recreate and redeem and restore all things back to the way the king originally designed them to be, the way the king wants them to be. That's what we're heading towards. That is what the church is doing. That is the purpose of the church, to be agents of renewal and recreation in the world, bringing the reality of the kingdom of God into every sphere that we touch on. God wants to use God wants us to want the same thing he wants. So when he gives instruction on how to pray and what to pray for it's all about the kingdom. We know this. We could probably recite it together. And he said to his disciples, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name holy respected worthy are you personally your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if that is our prayer continually we will be those agents of renewal in the world around us that god is calling us to be your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and the prayer goes on and i'm sure you're familiar with that Remember I said the law is love in the kingdom of God? When scripture talks about the way God connects with people, there's a word that's used as covenant or, or promise. So, so a marriage covenant or a marriage relationship is an example where two parties promise to one another, this is how I'm going to be and this is how I'm going to be and when we be those things together, we, we will 
we will be united, we'll be on the same page and we will love and support one another. And so there's covenants through Scripture. And when we get into the time of Jesus, he inaugurates this new covenant. And the new covenant we find in comes out of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, but in Hebrews chapter 8. And God says, I will write my law on their minds and in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will write my law. What is God's law? It's, it's love. So when Jesus is questioned about what, what are the commandments that are most important, he says, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbour as yourself. In terms of the kingdom of God, what is our response to all of this? What do we do? What is our posture? If kingdom of God is a reality and kingdom has these elements that there is a king and there is an economy and there is a territory and there is a law and all that's shaped into God and the person of Jesus, what do we do with it? Because it's nice theory. What do we do with it? That's the question. That's the, that's the Christian walk. I think we need to pursue it like nothing else. We need to be devoted to be followers of Jesus. We could state it this way. If we're a follower or a disciple of Jesus, a disciple is someone who devotes their life to the kingdom visions of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever heard it put that way. A disciple is someone who devotes their life to the kingdom vision of Jesus. In terms of this discipleship, the Great Commission calls for all disciples to be in the process of making disciples. Living in the reality of God's kingdom has to be the case for all followers of Jesus because we can only pass on what we have received and what we possess. You can't pass on to someone, you can't help someone be a follower of Jesus if you are not a follower of Jesus. In the passing on to others, the transmission of kingdom living and kingdom reality will result in the transformation of lives and communities and the environment and the world around us. That's what will be the outcome. One author I read defines a disciple of Jesus as people who apply their grounded, sorry, apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of God to every aspect of their life on earth. In describing the kingdom, Jesus draws the listener in to encounter the kingdom. That's what we read through the Gospels. He draws people in to encounter the kingdom, to be moved into a new way of thinking and then to act upon this new revelation. There's a bunch of parables that Jesus tells about what the kingdom of God is like. I want to just share two as we wrap up. There's the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. And so if we're pursuing the kingdom of God with everything we have, look how Jesus describes, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again, went and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And this teaching goes on in Matthew 13. And he says to his people listening, he said, do you understand these things? Yes, they said, we do. And then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Now that might not be as obvious as the pearl and the treasure. Other translations would put that last little phrase like this. It says, when you see how every disciple, every follower of Jesus, when you see how they live in the kingdom of God, It's like the owner of a store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. It's it's this helping people to live, helping people to live in reality. When we become the followers of Jesus who are pursuing the kingdom of God, we are like a store owner who can just put your hands on whatever is needed in the situation to help people out. Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the King, the King has a kingdom and it's the reality in which we are invited to live. And when we live in that reality, we are are invited to share it with others so that others can step into what is most true and most real and most important in this human life. A kingdom of God life consists of things to do and ways to think. It's all about the will of God being exercised and realised in all areas of life, across all of creation. So my prayer is that this will continue to be the reality for me and for you, for us, as we follow Jesus together. Let me pray. Jesus, I ask that you would bring fresh revelation to every one of us, individually, as families, as your church community here, fresh revelation of who you are, what you're doing, how you see our role in that, and give us the courage to step into that, trusting you, trusting you, that what you call us to is the best thing for us. May the kingdom of God continue to be a growing reality in our lives. May we live in it in such a way that it is expressed to those around us in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities so that you would be glorified and honoured as the good king that you are. Would you help us in this through your spirit? Amen.